0: Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James and I am pumped to be here with you all today. Thanks for hanging out with me in the diner. What do you have today? You want some eggs, Benedict? You probably do, you fancy prick. It's fine. We'll make it for you. Uh, But we are excited that you are here, my friends, in the diner. Squeeze into the booth and hang out with me. I got to be in the South recently. I got to go to Waffle House. It brought me back, y'all. There's just something about that all-star special egg scramble with cheese. Give me that waffle coated in butter and syrup. Give me that white toast. Give me them grits. I'm telling you, y'all, I just love it. Late night diner conversations are my jam. And that's why I love spending time with you. My friend's stepping in to the booth with me, sliding into the booth, I should say, but he is standing technically, Uh, but is my boy, Mike Ganino. Uh, He is an incredible man, a man that I have admired from afar for a number of years. We've followed each other on Instagram for quite some time. We've shot a like or a quick comment back and forth every once in a while. Definitely has the best hair in the biz, but he's someone who I've admired. He is a brand strategist. He is a storytelling coach. He is a fellow improviser, a professional speaker. Now, he is an incredible man. He wrote a great book. He's been featured in all these sorts of publications. He is all over the damn place. He's also been known to run TEDx Cambridge from time to time. Casual, the oldest and longest running TEDx in the country. Maybe in the world, probably in the world. But either way, I'm super pumped that he is joining us from L.A. Great town, great man. Let's have a great conversation. Bringing out my friend right now, Mike Goodino. Ah, you
1: know, I was so triggered, by the way, of mm. thinking back. You 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 mentioned, um, you know, Eggs Benedict and being in the South. And I like had this memory. I used to work in this very like high end restaurant in North Carolina in Greensboro called Green Valley Grill. And I hated working the brunch. I love working at night. I hated brunch because you had to work so freaking hard for brunch. You're like running around. The check averages are low and you go home like totally sweating, totally having run around the restaurant. And you made like $40 serving fancy people, eggs Benedict and sweet tea. And I just had such a triggered moment when you said that at the top of the show, by the way.
0: I try to piss my guests off early. Uh, You knew you got right. (laughs) It was like
1: inception. You were like in my brain, ready to say, what can I do to make this guy have like very painful
0: flashbacks? (laughs) Bringing (laughs) up that Hollandaise. All right. Um, Oh, gosh. uh, I love it. That's amazing. How
1: long were you a server for? I mean, a lot. So all through high school, I worked at Pizza Hut and Pizza. By the way, this was like back when Pizza Hut had like the actual hut roofs and you went in and it was like dark and ambianced and we had a buffet and a salad bar. And so I worked as a server all through high school And the little town I'm from, the Pizza Hut is like the nicest restaurant in town. So it's like where people go to like celebrate things during prom. We would like set the party room up with like little fake candles, those little (laughs) fake votives that just like wiggle in the wind. I would we would set those up and have like prom dinners at Pizza Hut. It was very, very sexy. And then I continued that in college. And then after college uh, and in, in like 2000, when I was 20, I became a flight attendant. And I stopped officially waiting tables then, mm-hmm. uh, but then stayed in the restaurant industry for like 14 more years in some capacity.
0: Yeah. Uh, first off, uh, we're 30 seconds into this podcast. I've already heard two stories. So the way to live up to your brand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> second, uh, what? Uh, where was the small town that you grew up in? I grew so I. I grew up all over the place, but I went to
1: high school uh, in a town called Parker, Arizona, which is right on the border of California and Arizona. So like three hours from Vegas, three hours from Phoenix, uh, three hours from Palm Springs, like out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. But actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like super far. And so uh, and right on the Colorado River. So we actually lived on the California side, but there's nothing in the California side except for a post office and a bar. And on the other side in the Arizona side, we'd cross a bridge. So I went to school in Arizona. So like California like paid Arizona for me to go to school there because there was no school on the California side. And so uh, so yeah, and my my mom and my grandma still still
0: live there. My mom works at the school district still outrageous. So when you fly in, do you fly into Palm Springs and drive a couple of hours? Where do you fly to where do you fly to?
1: Well, if you so I drive because I live in LA. so oh, That's it's right. like six hour drive from here. Usually what we do is we go and we stay the night in Palm Springs. So we drive like two or three hours to Palm Springs, stay the night and then do the rest of the trip. But if you were flying in, you would fly to Vegas or Phoenix and then drive Palm Springs is a bougie airport. It's expensive to fly to Palm Springs. So Vegas or Phoenix, you can usually get like the, you know, cheaper deals and cheaper
0: flights. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a uh, as a speaker who does a lot of work in the college market, I've been to a lot of random towns, right? I was just in Pikeville, Kentucky, flying to Cincinnati and drive three hours into the mountains of Kentucky. And so, like, there's part of me that's like, I'm surprised I haven't heard of this town because I've landed and have driven three hours <laughs> to nowhere. Shadron, Nebraska, Carbondale, Illinois. Um, and so one day, one day we'll get out to park there. <laughs> there, is a,
1: there. There is a community college called Arizona Western College. So who knows? Maybe the 42 students
0: there someday uh they deserve to hear from you i believe i believe, believe, I believe yeah. i'm sure most of them listen to this random podcast too so we're going to book this gig <laughs> i like it i like it Let's, I, I,
1: i'll 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 be like your uh, i'll introduce you or something I, I want to be there for this yeah yeah
0: yeah that's awesome yeah i got a guy um
1: <laughs> <laughs> you have an entourage you bring your own intro your uh, speaker intro
0: exactly exactly yeah we're gonna get there those are goals those are goals <laughs> Mike, this show is called Diner Talks with James, and we've already started talking about restaurants, which makes me happy, but uh, I'm a huge fan of late night eating because it's usually with great human beings, uh, right? I don't just uh, do it alone frequently, but uh, and if I do, we call those sad days. But anyway, um, so, but I'm wondering, you know, do you have a late night guilty pleasure? I know, I know you are newly a father, and so maybe we're not going out and going as hard, um, but do you have a late night guilty pleasure? Like food wise, yeah, sure. I mean, I guess I'll take anything at this point. Now I'm curious about it all, but <laughs> yeah, it's like,
1: what were you gonna say? <laughs> like, what was what was the other option here? Um, I mean, we already were talking about milk and jizz, so it's gonna go downhill. That's right. But, um, yeah.
0: That wasn't on the air though, so so now people are very fascinated. Yeah, well, you have
1: to stay for the after show. That's how know. we hook them, right? That's what you do. You get them to. I don't know how that works. Um, What is my guilty pleasure for late night food? I think that if I was like in a diner, I I don't know. I'm kind of boring. I would get like eggs and I would like want a a lot of extra. So, you know what really bothers? Let's talk about this. Okay. What really bothers me is you go to the late night diner and you say like, hey, I'll have like some crispy bacon. Mm -hmm. And they give you three pieces of bacon. No, I want a platter full of bacon. I want like Mike is on the carnival cruise line and the bacon the bacon bin just opened and I pick it up and I take the whole bin of bacon to the table. That's the amount of bacon I want. I don't want two pieces. I don't want three pieces. I don't want to have to order 74 sides. Like just bring me a platter of bacon. That's what I want.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. That's platter of oh, bacon. And I ain't you know, sharing it. No, no, get, get your grubby hands off this bacon. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a You're shirt right, it's like yeah that should be yeah uh we'll work on the branding here <clears throat> the uh yeah but the idea that you know you pay like four dollars for a side of bacon and i'm getting i'm paying a dollar 25 a strip over here Doesn't make any damn sense yeah 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 and, it. and it's still often not crispy enough I know the, oh, it's
1: like, I want to go, I want to just like, be like, can I have permission to go in the kitchen and just fry this
0: until it is ready? Because <laughs> it needs to snap. Yes. 100%. 100%. What is your uh, answer to that question? My answer to that question. So I'm, I mean, being raised in the Northeast, I'm a giant diner, uh, diner individual. So I'll, uh, late night I'll go, I'll go pancakes, um, <clears throat> from time to time. And, uh, I also love a good grilled cheese with ham on it. Ooh, ooh. Um, yep for sure. and uh, and french fries with a little ranch to dip them in. I like just some, you know the grilled cheese, I forgot
1: about that. There was this when I back when I was doing improv in Chicago, you know, we would be done at like one and two in the morning, mm-hmm. you know putting on the greatest theater for drunk people at midnight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we would go to this place called the Pick Me up Cafe. And it was so yeah. I felt like I was a cast. I like I felt like I was a, a not a cast member, but a character inside of rent. Going to the Life Cafe because it was like that. It was like eclectic, and it had like multiple levels. Like you would walk in, and there were steps everywhere, and, uh, you, and yeah. And it was like you know, Love today's a playing hooky playing. No. Um, <laughs> and it, it was so funny. And what I always got there, they had this really good like multi-grain bread with like little seeds in it, and I got mm-hmm. this grilled cheese with tomato
0: and guess what, bacon. So good. Outrageous, outrageous. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm someone who does not always love tomato on a sandwich, but I can do it on a grilled cheese. I don't know what it is. Yeah. It is. Are
1: diners connected to the
0: Northeast? You said, like, I'm from the Northeast, so I love diners. Is that a thing? Uh, I believe it is, but I'm also ethnocentric. So uh, (laughs) you're a great American. As a a New Yorker, I firmly believe that is the epicenter and everything else just spins around it. And, uh, but I do, I mean, yeah, I would, I do believe that they are. I mean, like, for example, like in the Midwest, like in Detroit, diners are called Coney's because Mm -hmm. they're named after Coney Island where all these diners were. Right. And so Mm. uh, so I do believe it started out there. uh, A lot of Greek immigrants and stuff like that. That kind of started. Oh, the Greek diners. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) uh, but don't quote me on that. And I don't do a fact check like armchair experts. So we'll just assume <laughs> I'm right and keep going. Um, I like it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, another famous uh, spot uh, as a fellow improviser in Chicago, the salt and pepper next to uh, the old IO. Uh, yep. Good diner that I've eaten at a few times.
1: <clears throat> many. <laughs> so, so we would always avoid after shows at IO, we would avoid salt and pepper because so many of the audience members would go there. Mm-hmm. Um we would, I mean, we'd eat there a lot, but we would avoid it after shows and go to pick me up. Cause it was always the, le- it's just like three more steps down the road there. Um, because it was also pick me up was also the place where when all of this is probably why I went there actually, it had nothing to do with seeing audience members when all of the gay bars would let out, that's where everyone would go. So it was this like this, like uh, melange of, of, I don't even know if that's the right word, but I, I like it. Um, <laughs> this like melange of like drag queens and like drunk gay frat boys and uh and performers. It was fun and improvisers just doing yeah. bits of
0: just doing bits with everybody for days.
1: Yeah, yeah. The whole thing was just it, you. Uh, you could see the 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 servers were always. You know, it's like you try to be cute, and it's like I'm serving grilled cheese sandwiches for five bucks. Like, don't be cute with me. Like. <laughs> Drink your juice and shut up. Let's go, honey. Uh, Seriously.
0: <laughs> oh shoot, that's amazing. You mentioned that you were a flight attendant, um, so in a way, your serving career continued. Um, <laughs> just took a it took a bit of a turn. Uh, I'm offended. We were there for people's safety, James. Oh yes, right. Yeah. Sorry. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry.
1: <laughs>
0: um, so, uh, what what drove you to be a flight attendant? How did that happen?
1: I was living. So I, w- I went to college. I dropped out of college for like a million reasons, but I left college after a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and lived. This is when I went and lived with my aunt in North Carolina, where I worked at the the fancy restaurant. And then I thought, OK, I'm going to go back. Uh, I'm going to go back to California slash Arizona. I'm going to like work at Pizza Hut for the summer. And then I'm going to move to L.A. and, you know, I'll walk along Sunset Boulevard and someone will surely say, you You should be a star, kid. Um, That's not how it works, oddly, except in, like, porn. It does work that way for, like, anyway. So I thought that that's what was going to happen. I came home, and I didn't go back to – I didn't make any plan to move anywhere. And I was, like, miserable. And my grandma – I lived with my grandparents. My grandma was like, you are miserable. My whole life I was, like, always this, like, happy little guy, um, always – always optimistic, always looking at the positive. And I just was like negative and angry. And that wasn't me. And she was like, what is going on? You need to get out of here. Like you can't stay in this town. You've got to leave. What do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I feel so lost. Um, I want to be famous. And I don't know what you do to do that. Uh, Because I wasn't even like I wasn't even going to fake it to be like, I want to be an actor. No, yeah. I just wanted to be famous. I didn't care about being an actor. <laughs>
0: right, yeah. I just wanted people to know me. <laughs> Whatever the vessel was. I'm yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was. I don't care what it is. And so she said, well, what, what interests you? And I was like, I want to see the world. I, I never went anywhere. And so she it was like, okay, let's let's do this. So I started auditioning for Cruise Lines to sing in the shows. But I looked so young. Uh, when I was like 19, I really looked like a little baby. And so I was like, well, I can't. It didn't really. And I couldn't dance. So, like, I couldn't play the leading man in these shows on cruise ships. And I couldn't dance. So, I couldn't play all the other roles. So, I wasn't getting, or maybe I just couldn't sing. I don't know. I, I wasn't getting the roles.
0: Yeah.
1: And she's like, well, if you want to see the world, like, what about being a flight attendant? I always thought that would be cool. I was like, sure, whatever. So, I went to two interviews and I got both the jobs. And uh, one was working for, it was called, um, I think Arizona West airlines or something like that. And it was basically like, you know, little commuter Phoenix to LA, Phoenix to San Diego, that kind of thing. And the other was called American trans air. And they did all of these charter commercial or charter flights. And we're starting to do commercial, but it was to Hawaii to, you know, Shannon Ireland to Palermo, Italy. And I was like, that's, so that's what I want to do. So I took that job and got based in Chicago and that's how I ended up in Chicago. And then I did that for a year, uh, and then 9/11 happened, and we all everybody got furloughed, and I was so low in the um, ranks. It's all you know, union, so I was the lowest oh, sure. seniority, so I didn't get the job back. So then I was like, I guess I'll go back to serving people food.
0: <laughs> so this is my sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The 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 uh, a huge cataclysmic thing happened to tell me head back to the kitchen, kid.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were you able to see some really incredible times or, fl- or places, I should say, while you were flying with them? Yeah, so it was interesting because the the forever the airline had been a charter
1: airline, so they would fly people. Um, they did like pleasant Hawaiian holidays, pleasant Mexican holidays. They did all these like charter flights to really cool places. They would you know take people on uh, groups of people to to vacation destinations, and they had they had bought a bunch of new. 737s to do commercial that they ended up selling later to Southwest when they went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And so initially I was like I'm going to go to Hawaii and it's like nope, you're going to Cleveland. And I was like, <laughs> "Yay, Cleveland Rocks." Uh so I was so I did some of that but but I did eventually get to go all these cool places. I went to Hawaii. I lived in Hawaii for like a month once. Awesome. Um put up in there. I was so poor. Like you make like no money as a flight attendant really. Yeah. Um but I stayed and like A hotel like right downtown Waikiki and it was lovely and great I went to Oman Saudi Arabia we did military charters as well and so um and that was fun if you know what I mean um so we did military (laughs) oh no (laughs) I mean you know you're stuck in a military base with a bunch of people yeah uh (laughs) and uh i also i went to shannon ireland that was another military charter was super fun Mm -hmm. i went to and usually the military charters weren't fast turns meaning like we didn't go and have to come back right away so we had like a bunch of time there because it was cheaper to leave us there than to fly us back with an empty plane Mm -hmm. went to um went to italy went to um guam (laughs) we went to guam once so yeah pretty cool and then That's I was a Spanish speaker. I was one of the Spanish speakers on the flights. So I went to um, San Juan, Puerto Rico, a ton, because that was like a, one of our kind of date. We were kind of like a, um, a value airline that didn't sell itself as a value airline. Okay. And so we would do these turns wherever people had like family that they would visit a lot from Chicago. And so San Juan, there's a huge Puerto Rican population in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so we would go to we had flights to San Juan and Puerto Rico like three times a day. Um, for that reason. And, and also, I mean, vacation, too, but it was a lot of people visiting family coming back and forth. So I did that route
0: um, for a really long time as well. What a cool opportunity to see a little bit of the world, and also, you know, a lot of times flight attendants you only get maybe a day on the ground or just a, a long night or something like that, right? Because the turn is happening a lot quicker on, yeah. on many of the commercial airlines, and so the fact that you get, were able to sit in Shannon for a while, sit in Oman for a while, uh, and some of these other places, Hawaii for a month, casual uh, is that's uh, <laughs> awesome.
1: It was so, and I was in Hawaii with my my roommate in Chicago. Uh, we were both there for uh, not the. The whole time together but but a couple of weeks and we didn't really have like money even to like go like we couldn't really afford to like go get drinks or anything we were yeah. like and we're eating at the continental breakfast and then shoving croissants in our bag for lunch and maybe <laughs> dinner uh, we took a little ham to make a fancy sandwich in our sure, rooms sure. Um, and so she started dating and I had several female roommates in Chicago. So no one, I'm not outing anybody here, uh, who now probably is married with children, but, uh, she started <laughs> name like, Rebecca no. <laughs> dating one of the, um, how'd you know? No, I'm kidding. Started dating one like a bartender, It's vacation dating. So the bartender knew that it wasn't going to last forever either. Um, And so we would get free drinks at like the Outrigger in Waikiki because we couldn't afford. It's expensive Waikiki and we didn't make a lot of money. So we dated for cocktails.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that no i mean <laughs> people do that all the time exactly yeah for sure work smarter not harder really i think is what they say in the world uh <laughs> now it's funny because you know you went to uh, you decided to do this to try to find yourself and do something that brought you life did it did it fulfill you did it fill the bucket were you like super sad when it kind of all ended or did you kind of see the writing on the wall i there was a little bit towards the end
1: where i was getting bored with it mm-hmm. Um, I obviously there were more places that I wanted to see in the world and I would have loved to have gone here and there and everywhere, but I was getting a little bit bored and there's not really like an upward trajectory for flight attendants. For the most part, you can become like the lead flight attendant, but I was often the lead flight attendant because nobody else wanted to do it. And mm-hmm. I got stuck doing it basically means you like collect the money at the end because you're not anyone's manager. There's no mm-hmm. managing of any of that. And so I was, at the end, I really wanted more. I wanted to do something more. I was auditioning a bunch as well. And so I did a commercial um, that had like a buyout. And so I was like, I made $5,000 doing a class action. It was like class action, not class action. It was a civil civil injury lawyer kind of thing. So I was like... (laughs) I got smashed from my dad's car and my neck hurts. What am I supposed to do? And so I was like, played some college kid that did that. And I got like $5,000 for this buyout. And I was like, I don't need this stupid flat attendant job anymore. I'm rich and I'm going to get famous <laughs> playing like local personal injury lawyer commercials. Um, and so towards the end, I was a little disillusioned and I wanted more. I, I wanted, I was only 20, uh, I turned 21. That year of of nine eleven, and I was like, I wanted more. I wanted to do something more, and was kind of starting to get a little bored.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's. Uh- it's funny we both we both had a a similar dream of of fame growing up and i'm not gonna tell you that i've lost it but uh it's still around Uh, we're on the internet talking
1: to each other and like putting it out for
0: people (laughs) clearly there's something still there for us (laughs) yeah Yeah. for sure i'm wondering when did that like what what was the trigger for you when you were younger that like oh this is what i really want to do uh and you know what was it something that you watched was it a uh was it a celebrity where like oh i want to be like blank or like what was it that that kind of triggered that idea in your brain i don't know that there was
1: any like person i have like deep i have a i have deep feelings about about some of the professions that we chase and where they come from and like the inner healing and inner bonding we're doing with that Um, and so i don't know did i enjoy performing did i enjoy because even as a even as a server, even as a as a as a waiter, and later on as a as a restaurateur, I understood the whole time that I was creating theater for people. That it was always theater. Like restaurant dining is theater, and so there was something of it that was always a bit performative for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like a chicken and an egg thing. It's like, was I like did I pop out of the womb being like, hello, my baby? Like, I don't know. <laughs> if that was the case, do we learn to be performative um, because of something we're taking care of or healing or trying to get attention or whatever the case is. So I don't know chicken or egg where it come from, but I do remember being really little and always recognizing that if you could do something to, if you could do something engaging, that you could have people's attention Mm -hmm. and that having people's attention and holding it was the most valuable thing in the world. I recognized that really early. Yeah. And you know, I think I I when I was a flight attendant doing my little announcements, did I add a little extra, you know, je oh, ne sais quoi to the top? Of course I did. <laughs> yes, honey, And I did voices, I did it all. Um when I was a waiter, was it always performative? Absolutely. And so there was something where the through line of my life has always been that if you can create something engaging Relevant that can hold people's attention, then you can have whatever you want in the world, and that's kind of probably the strongest through line I recognize. Where did that come from? I'm not sure. I haven't gotten that okay. far in
0: therapy yet. Okay. All right. Well, we'll have you back on then. I need you to unpack a little bit more of your life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't closed enough yet. <laughs> Uh, you it's so uh, it's it's fascinating because I have a a somewhat similar story in that uh, I don't know if you know this about me I have a bachelor of science in marine biology um, and so in getting that degree I didn't get that because I was excited to do research for the rest of my life Um, I got that because I watched Jacques Cousteau growing up and I wanted to educate people about the fishes and the see, but if you were, if you're going to boil it down, um, like I, I wanted to be on television for that and doing doing exactly yeah. what Jacques Cousteau was like, Oh, this dude's old. Like, so who's going to replace him? I'm coming up next, <laughs> you know? And like, and so uh, but when you boiled it down, what I wanted to do was, uh, entertain people and make them think at the same time around a topic area that mattered a lot to me. that I thought should matter to them. And then you fast forward to where I am today. And that's, that's what I'm doing now as a speaker, right? It's that same, it's that yeah. underlying current that is there. And so uh, I completely hear what you say. And I think, yeah, I, th- I thought it was beautifully put. And isn't that interesting? I, I think that more people,
1: you know, like a lot of the work I do with folks is around finding those moments. Cause I think like, if you're going to be on stage, if you're going to be sharing something, um, <sighs> you know, it's finding the like, what is yours to say? What is Mm -hmm. only you can say it? Because that's the thing we should be on stages and on screens talking about because everything else we can Google. And what I often find is that people have that same thing that I had and that you had when they really start to dig deep to say, actually, my whole life, I've kind of always it's almost like an airplane when an airplane takes off and then it lands and it's like the whole time it's just repositioning because it's Mm -hmm. always it's never on course the airplane is always just course adjusting all the way till it lands and it's almost like somehow somewhere someplace in our childhood maybe there's a point that's set a set point and then we spend the rest of our lives adjusting back to it and so for Mm -hmm. you it's entertaining and performing for me it was entertaining and performing and i find that most people when we look at everything they've done there's some kind of through line like that um yes and then we find interesting ways to do it i mean you who would have thought i didn't think this was an option like to travel <laughs> around and like people are going to pay me to talk to them on stage about like you know uh, the things that i talk about i never would have thought that was an option
0: for yeah. performing and and doing the work that we do yeah, yeah, my guidance counselor wasn't out here with this idea. Uh,
1: <laughs> nobody said, nobody said, like, you know, so and so is going to pay you to come and teach their companies how to tell better stories. And you're like, what? I what? wouldn't even known that was an option.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All my stories right now end in I found five dollars. What are you talking about? Um, so yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, was there something uh, digging back into childhood? uh, I'm wondering if there was something that you used to do that your friends today would be like, (laughs) of course, you used to do that. Like that is so quintessentially you. But sometimes these are the moments that we forget about, but we're like, oh, shoot, I used to really be just like that. You know, yeah. Is there something like that for you? Well, first of all, it would assume that I had friends growing up okay great
1: great great uh i'm not i was like i'm kidding i'm not kidding uh it was like a horrible thing to be like a little a little closeted gay baby in the world but i think that probably like if i went back and we moved so much so i never really knew people more than like a year because we were always moving um high school we i went to the same high school for three years and it was the first time in my life i'd ever gone to the same school for three years in a row yeah And so I think if you went to all of those people, like preschool through maybe not preschool, because I don't know if I could read then, but uh, preschool through um, maybe even that that year and a half of college. The one thing I think I always that everyone would say, like, of course, this dude makes words and then speaks them if there was a chance to read something in class, (laughs) I was going to take it. And I was going to make every other person in that class feel like an incompetent twit who couldn't speak and couldn't read because I delivered those lines, honey. Yes. So I think that's one thing that people would say is like, Oh, of course he says words emotionally relevant and says them in that way. Because from as I remember like going around the classroom and the teacher being like, we're going to read. And I was like, Oh, give me two sentences. Don't give me one sentence. Give me two. Let me show you what I can do. And I just loved that the whole time. Always. I always loved it.
0: Yes. Every time I read, I spirit read. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, There was never monotone. Never heard of her. No, 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 no. (laughs) I'm going to put you right into night with Eli Wiesel. Uh, Got
1: it. It's like, let's read the school newspaper. Okay. I, I mean, I wrote the school newspaper. I was editor, but let me read it to you. You know, it was Buck, the greatest. If there had been podcasts up. back then, I would have had seven. <laughs>
0: that's that's an incredible quote. Um, <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's awesome. I uh, I love those moments uh, thinking back of like, oh, of course, that's how you were. I think I share this maybe in another episode, but when I was younger, we had this. Uh, we had this. Um, uh, the stump on the corner. We lived on a corner. We had this stump and I would always ask my mom, can we go outside so I could wave at people as they go by? <laughs> and like, I just like, I'm a jo- Like I piss extroversion, right? Like it's uh, to this day, uh, that's, I want to be in a room full of strangers, just hamming it up. Yeah. Um, and like, that is still what I, you know, love to do. Connecting with people, ask questions, learning about them, uh, <laughs> making them smile. Like that's, you know, that, yeah. It's so this is random things that we can go back to and as we think about like you know in my 30s i'm lost in my 40s i'm lost or like what going back to some, like you said that excuse me that like waypoint that you described of like going back to it and just being like what is something that brought me joy at a time where i didn't think about what brought me joy it just Mm -hmm. did Mm -hmm. um and uh there's often a lot of gold uh for future opportunity in there
1: yeah and i think and i think it's interesting because i think if we if we you know, if someone is if someone is listening and, the, and they thought like I remember my stump or whatever the the situation <laughs> is for them, the the core driver of that maybe not the stump and maybe you didn't repeat the stump over and over, yeah. um, but the core like driver of that I bet shows up again and again and again and again and again in someone's life. You know, the same yeah, way yeah. it did for you and the same way it did for me. And there's something about that that that. I think has to deal with like, why are you here? You know, like that's probably why you're here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 100%, 100%. Now you mentioned uh, you mentioned that you're gay. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but uh, you let that, you let that slip. <laughs> just saying, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'd be curious to hear when, when did you know that you were gay? Like when, mm. you, like, was that, when, when did, when did you, I guess, let's say come out to yourself. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's so
1: interesting with that. I was, I was recently, I did like a, one of these like online summits and we did like a post interview after my session went, um, to like engage the group in a Facebook. And the, the person was also a theater person. She was, you know, grew up theater in, in New York. She's like, Oh my God, did you also grow up? Like I made some like Barbara Streisand comments. Like, did, were you guys like a Barbara Streisand house? And I was like, no, you know what? I was so scared to like Barbara Streisand mm. to like share that because I felt like it would be an immediate, I was scared to, I, when I was growing, cause I grew up in Southern California, I was really scared to like go to Palm Springs ever. Like I was like there mm. cause it was like known as like a place where, where gay people were. Um, I was scared when we went, we lived in uh, Sonoma County for a little while with my grandparents when I was a freshman. And I was so scared to like go into San Francisco because it was like, I know that some I just was expecting that there would be like a line of gay people who were like, he's gay, like waiting for us as we cross the golden gate bridge. And I was like, I don't, I know that they're going to look at me. And my husband and I were just talking about this of like being so scared to be seen by someone who was gay and them knowing, you know, them knowing the thing that you're unwilling to admit. So I was just, so So this whole thing has come up recently. I was sh- sh- talking about it and I don't remember I remember always feeling different, but I also grew up in like a really small, um, really small rural places. They exist in California Um, and always being performative, always wanting to write and sing. And I thought maybe it's not gay. Maybe it's just that I'm by a bunch of plebes, and they don't know that (laughs) like, you know, because it was like we we do that so often with like kids and uh, high schoolers, where it's like if you want to act and sing, that's a very gay thing to do. And it's like, but look at Hollywood. Like mm-hmm. it's obviously not. And so I remember really young being uh, feeling different because like all my friends were were girls. I wanted to like put on little shows. I wanted to uh, sing and I wanted to dance, and I wanted to be creative and I wanted to write. And early on, people would ask me, you know like oh are you a girl or a boy like when i was little and they would call mm-hmm. me girly they would do that kind of thing uh and that kind of bullying continued on through till till college yeah yeah i'm sure and i don't know you know like i grew up with it being such not an option of not only did i never know any I, my idea of like what it meant was that you were going to in growing up in the 80s that you were going to get sick and and get and have AIDS and die because yeah. that's what we were seeing in the media that, and then also being in small places where that was also like a disgusting thing to do, or that you were going to be some kind of like uh, a pedophile or something because that's what I saw. That's what I was told all the time, and I just knew that I wasn't. I didn't want either of those things. So I think I don't remember when I started to say like I'm gonna. Uh, I recognize that I might be, and I'm going to push it out. I don't know when that happened. I know that in high school, I have like a journal where I started to like talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was like, maybe it's just because I'm, you know, like I'm a teenage boy and I just want it all the time. And so maybe it doesn't matter to me. Um, and then I came out in I had a girlfriend in my freshman year of college, like a, a more serious one. And then I broke up with her and had like my first boyfriend my first experience with a guy and then broke up with him and got back with her and then i did that for several years um (laughs) because again i just didn't see any role models of like what i i didn't know anybody like me now who was like married and had a baby yeah that didn't seem like an option to me and that is why i've shared so often that visibility and if you can if you're in a place where you are safe sharing your story really does matter because someone is watching and can say ooh that just opened up an option for me that i didn't know existed
0: yeah yeah those moments that when going from feeling unseen to feeling seen yeah even if you don't even if you don't exactly know that person but just to know right like as as black students walk through the halls of universities with rows of of portraits of white men presidents i mean like is this what's happening here right um and you know just that yeah that that power of relatability when we see ourselves in someone else we we believe that we can yeah and you hadn't been able to sound based on what you just shared you really hadn't seen yourself in anybody else um, and uh, yeah you you shared something something powerful that is so different than I as a straight person would ever have to think about turns out that's what privilege is not having to think about things um, but uh, anyway let's let's move on <laughs> uh, but still the thing is, uh, is that you were talking about was that and I'd love to hear a little bit more about it if you'd be willing, but like that fear of being seen by another, uh, by, by, by a out gay person, um, queer person, and them being like, you're one of us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You like, you're clearly uh, you're clearly gay, little boy. Um, Let's, let's have a conversation. Like what, what, what was that fear? Like what, I guess, you know, when you think of, when I I think of fears, I think of like, well, this is the worst that could happen. So if someone, uh, if someone like you, if you went to Palm Springs and, and met and met a man and it was like, oh yeah, okay. You're, you're a little gay boy um, or whatever it is, whatever the language is that you would, you know, that you would prescribe there. What is, what is the fear there? For me, it was,
1: I think at like the deepest level, the real fear is that you'll be, sent out you know that you'll be ostracized and so yeah. this world that i grew up in was not one of of and my fam- my mom and my dad and my grandparents are not like hateful people they're lovely people but like they were steeped in an environment yeah. that they had they'd never known anybody who was i think i was the first person they ever knew who was gay when i came out to them i don't think they ever knew anyone and, and at the time when I did that 19, there wasn't even a lot of celebrities. So they didn't even know somebody like, Oh, I really like that person and, and they're gay. And so there wasn't even that. So I, I think that the real fear, whether justified or not, I think this is what keeps people in the closet as well. There's the fear of like actual, um, violence and, and that, that happened to people that, that, that are abused by family members for, for being gay. Um, and so that's a real fear that people have, and I think the other big fear that keeps people in the closet is that you're going to be tossed aside, that you're going to be an out in the community. And and this is the one thing I've talked about a lot with friends who who will say something, uh, will say like, ah, well, I I've I posted before about like my journey with my mom, who's who's wonderful and great and such a part of my life, and with my husband and my daughter. But like it was a journey too. And so I've posted that before and people will message or message me privately and say, ah, that's why with my kid, I make sure he knows that like if he brings home a boy or a girl, it just doesn't matter, yada, yada. And I always say, that's not the point because we are in an environment where it is assumed children and you, and you as well as a new dad like me. I have to really think about not, I have to think, a gay man, I have to think not to say, like, ooh, is this little guy gonna be her boyfriend? Like, <laughs> ooh, maybe they'll get married with like my friend's son or something. Yeah. That's the world that we live in. Even if mom and dad say, we love the gays, the gays are great, let's do gay all the time. If you wanna be gay, you could be gay. We still live in a world where it is not assumed. It is assumed the opposite. It is assumed that if you're a girl, you're going to get married. You want the princess wedding. It's assumed that if you're a guy, you're into these things. Everything in our world is situated to that. And even if you're in an environment where your mom says, either way, I love you. You always know that. You're in a household where you're probably the product of two straight parents. Mm -hmm. And so even if the straight parents say, we love the gays and we love you if you are, you still realize I'm different than them at the core level in my own home
0: yeah
1: where these should be the people i most identify with in the world i am different than even my parents that's a really interesting thing to 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 consider and and i think the fear for people is coming out and being like shipped out of that but also coming out and saying specifically i am different than the rest of you in this house yeah that's hard that's hard
0: Mike, that is a a huge pill that you just shoved into my mouth and are making me swallow, but it is such an important one. And, I mean, as much as Tina's uh, Tina's favorite show in the world is RuPaul's Drag Race, it's on (laughs) probably – seven hours a day in the house there's also um, right? 700 like, seasons of it now exactly, so. exactly yes and i've i've now seen most of them just by a piecemeal um and <laughs> uh, and so uh it's a great show it's very fun uh but but still like just because that's on doesn't mean x just because right. our gay friend came over doesn't mean x just because we have a, a pride flag that hangs out front of our house doesn't mean uh, that that is what you just said is so powerful and uh, again, I I never thought of it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. that who knows if this, this little boy that we're raising, how he's going to identify. Um, and, uh, yeah, that that's huge. And I I really appreciate you sharing, um, sharing a little bit of what it was like and some of those fears when you're growing up, because, you know, it's easy to assume that everybody just grew up like you, Right. Like, you know, you don't if you have knowledge, you have a life experience and that just is what that's all, you know. Right. Um, And uh, this is where people get stuck today uh, because they're more interested in being right uh, than what is right. Um, And so uh, a lot of that comes down to and what I've been trying to ask myself a lot um, since I left my my hometown um, is okay. You're like what you just described, for example, Mike is so different than anything I've ever had to deal with, hmm. but rather than recoiling and being like, well, that can't be true. Well, that's not a thing, <laughs> right? That's not, I never, I never saw that. Right. Um, instead it's like, well, what if that is true? You know, yeah. if that is true, what else is true? Going to some good improv stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> and as a good comedy rule, <clears throat> um, but it also applies to people's lives, um, yeah. and their lived experiences. Um, and, uh, Yeah, I I just I just really appreciate that you uh, you being vulnerable for us in there in that moment. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's interesting, too, because the
1: other. I was interviewed for a show and this happened more than once. I was interviewed on stage, actually, in a panel once. And I was like the the um, (laughs) the chosen uh, dignitary of the alphabet group of the LGBTQ plus uh community. And they asked, and it was about like representation or something like that. And the person asked me about um being a black trans woman. Like what would that be like? And I was like, I have no idea. Like asked you what it would be like? Yeah, like trying to say like as not like what is the personal struggle, but like um you know what did it mean for representation and in, in that yeah. community? How do they feel? And I was like, I don't know because like I have as I have this, I have similar blinders that anyone else has to that community because I'm not one. And so there's this assumption even of like, well, if you're LGBTQ plus any of those things, then you're all, you all have the same experience. You've all lived the same experience. You all have shared things. And it's like, no, there's, there's a big range, even in that community um, of, of what people have gone through and what they've seen in that. It really does. I mean, this is such a, a topic I hear a lot from, Um, I have a a friend who worked in the university world and student student life. And she was the very first person I I ever heard speaking about intersectionality. Mm. And it really, when you hear somebody talk about like, you know, talk about it, you're like, of course, like you can be a white man who was, who grew up poor, who did this. You could be a, a, a black woman who grew up rich. And so you have this. And I think that we forget that sometimes when we're thinking about these experiences of like, there's my husband, another white gay man, uh, his experience being gay was totally different than mine, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to forget that because we've watched one movie or like donated to the Trevor project that we understand everyone in that community. And I think when you realize that there's more to us than, you know, the characters on will and grace, I think it maybe opens up your ability to understand that about everybody, like including, including you, like we start to see like, Oh, there's a lot of layers here and it's yeah. just so easy to not see them. It's difficult to see them. It's a lot of work to see them, you know?
0: Sure. Yeah. Cause not seeing
1: them is easier. Right. Right. Um, and it's, yeah. it's what we're wired to do. It's it's such a painful truth of our human experiences that we're not supposed to be a global community. We're not supposed like, Part of the reason that that storytelling, I think, exists, that verbal communication exists is because we were trying to decide who's in and who's out. And the people who could use stories, oration to convince other people of things got included. Mm-hmm. And that inherently implies that as a human species, we are wired to create others. And it's, I think, one of our big challenges today is that we're fighting in some level biology that served us once upon a time that doesn't serve us anymore, you know?
0: Yep. Yeah. 100%. And yeah, so much of it goes back to psychology and who makes me feel safe. Um, But where did you learn what safety is? Right. Um, Right. Who taught you what safety meant? Um, And yeah, for sure. 100% uh and uh you know you mentioned you mentioned your 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 husband phil um and uh, you and phil have this this beautiful relationship uh we're out here chin chin with the wine left and right um and and <laughs> having and having a really beautiful a beautiful time i believe um uh, and phil phil's a restaurateur correct you're both restaurateurs he uh he's a chef he's a chef okay yeah. Excellent. Great. Well, I'm glad somebody fed Phil um, and uh, it was a bad joke. I'm sorry about that. Get it. We'll, we'll edit that out. No, we won't. We're, um, We're allowed to make bad jokes now, right? <laughs> the Greatest freedom. Exactly. Exactly. So what was it that enabled you and I know that this was obviously years of experience, life uh, and, and et cetera, et cetera, is part of the answer to this. But at the end of the day, uh, finding someone who we love deeply still means we allow ourselves to be seen by them. And a lot of what you were talking about in your fears is like, I don't want to be seen by some of these individuals because that means it could mean could mean X, Y or Z. Um, and so what was it? letting someone in like that, uh, like, like a Phil, where you're like, I'm going to let this person see me for, for all this hot messery we got going on, uh, down below. Ooh,
1: I think that's still, I mean, we've been together for almost 17 years now. Um, and I think it still happen happens every day or happens, all the time, partly because I think that we are constantly learning more about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh there's a, a psychologist who wrote like a very early book on on the inner child, um, inner child, inner adult, and called inner bonding, and, and Margaret Paul is the is the author of that. And that the inner child, inner, inner adult thing is all about like recognizing that probably at some point. Uh, our inner child like w- was created to keep us safe, to keep us protected. And that in every instance, we have two choices only. We have the choice to protect ourselves, which typically is coming from that inner child. The Your adult, your present adult is trying mm-hmm. to protect the inner child from getting hurt in some way, or you have the opportunity to learn and explore something. And I think that in intimate relationships, that is constantly the, the question we're being asked is, Am I doing something here to learn about myself and learn about us, or am I doing something here to protect myself? And do I need to protect myself? Is that valuable anymore? It goes back to what you were just saying about the psychology of how did you learn to do that to protect yourself? Because we all have it—like our our proclivities, our addictions, our the way we numb ourselves, whatever the case. I would argue that. Anyone who says like, oh, people are addicted to their cell phones because of the cell phones, that is wrong. You're addicted to your cell phones because we're numbing something that we're trying to protect ourselves from, whatever mm-hmm. that is. And I think that in a personal relationship, like in my marriage, we've it it is evolving all the time. And for me, having a child like a year ago um, – really shifted my identity in so many ways that I did have to ask questions where it was like, I never had to think about this before of why do I do this? It wasn't a problem. Yeah. It didn't bother me. And so, and I'm like the primary stay at home person during the week. Um, because of COVID, I don't have to travel as much to speak. <laughs> and uh, and I've been moving my business more to doing um, private coaching and bringing people here to LA to work with them anyway. And so That brought up a bunch of things. And it always, I think in in that close personal relationship, like a marriage, I think it always brings up the stuff of like, oh, shoot, here's this whole thing I never talked about or dealt with because I didn't need to. And then having a baby, being in a a close personal relationship, I think can um, really push you up against that. And so I would say for 17 years, we've been every moment deciding am i protecting myself or am i learning here and and making the wrong choice a whole bunch of times and for whatever reason we just kept you know waypoint finding each other again Uh, we had like a ross and rachel breakup in the middle um where we just were not understanding each other (laughs) um and it is interesting my my therapist a couple of weeks ago we were talking about something and i was talking about being annoyed of some really stupid ridiculous thing and questioning like why am i so upset about this really simple thing you know and she had said "Oh, it's really interesting that in a way you want to be seen you want to be acknowledged and seen by phil in this way and yet in this other way where he sees you and says something you don't want to be seen and i was mm. like i think that probably uh probably <laughs> probably is the case for a lot of relationships like that you know
0: yeah yeah 100 yeah uh, and i think a lot of it gets spiked uh in uh in parenting oh yeah uh, for sure all all of it's all of it's coming out all of it's coming out and you know i, I love the way that you put it because i i relate it to uh something that i've often thought and even tell tina where it's uh it is way easier for me to love her than it is some days to let her love me. Oh yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just like, yeah, just cause uh, whatever's going on in my head and whatever I'm thinking, I'm bringing to the table or not bringing to the table or things that I perceive as failures or as like, Oh, I'm a bad partner, like things that they don't, they don't even notice. Um, and so, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, what? And,
1: and like the little th- times where it's like, where in this instance, you know, maybe it's broad in general with everyone. Maybe it's this specific instance with one specific person, but like we learn also sometimes to, um, to put other people's feelings ahead of our own yeah. as a way to earn love even, which mm-hmm. is such a, that's such an interesting thing to explore as well. And so it's like, Oh, yeah, it's so much easier sometimes. I'm not saying this is what happened for you there, but it's so much easier to love and give than it is to get the love because we think that I have to do that to earn the love. So if all of a sudden you're doing it to me, I'm not earning love right now, even though you're giving it to me. And it's like, that is fundamentally like the weirdest, messed up thing. But that happens to me a lot, that specific thing that you mentioned.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the checks in the mail for that counseling session.
1: Uh, <laughs> I basically go to therapy and then the next week I use it on someone else. I, you know,
0: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. That's what we're all doing out here. Right. I call myself a pharmacist. I pass out the drugs. I don't take them. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, you should do this. Uh, I've been, I've literally made money teaching other people what I need to hear for, you know, 15 years. I, think um, <laughs> so. this
1: is, I always say this with people when they, so like when people, when I'm working with folks and they're like, Oh, I did this, like, ideal customer avatar activity. And my ideal customer is a woman named Claire who lives in the suburb and has a charcuterie business and a Honda Odyssey. And it's like, no, your ideal customer is you a couple of years ago. That's who I think we're speaking to. That's who I think, like, you know, you look at, you look at leading and perfectly your book there. And it's like, that book is for you at some point in the past. And, yep. and that's why it's relevant. And that's why it's rich. And that's why it
0: has so much meaning, I think. One. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I'm here for that sauce. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you and I are, are both new, uh, new parents. Um, the, the, the wonderful and stunning uh, Bibiana is a year old uh, and we're, we're at eight months. So we're not, we're not that far behind from each, uh, for, from you all. And you know, in becoming parents, one thing that was always told to me and I'm sure to you also is that everything changes. Right. (laughs) And so, but here's the thing is that I had no concept of what everything meant. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some things are going to change, but Mike, literally everything has changed. Yeah. And it's crazy. Right. But I don't, you know, who knows how to wrap your head around that until it actually happens to you. I don't know if there's any more prep work I could have done, but, uh, but still, um, it is, it is, it has rocked my world. And in, in some really, really beautiful, incredible ways. And then some other ways where I'm like, yo, bro, the mirror is kind of scary. um, Right. And yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering how, and now that you're a year in, is it what you thought it would be? Is it how, how are you doing? What, how does it feel? Uh, <laughs> what's going on with Viviana and how it racks your brain, How? how that little one racks your brain?
1: You know what's interesting is people say like it, you know the whole like oh it changes everything, and the things that I thought it would change were all of the like cute things and like oh you're not going to get any sleep and like you and you're going to put your baby first and it, you know all of those things you ex all of that was like exactly as expected. I didn't so this is all very like deep, like this is like the diner where people look at the table and they're like, why is that guy crying over there with that other dude the whole time? And that's me today. So, and I say this as a, like I, you know, earlier in the show, I talked about like uh, putting things out there that you've uh, that you can say safely because maybe someone will listen and, and hear it. So this is my interest in in doing this. I really suffered In the beginning, uh, I had like really serious post postpartum depression, which men get as well, Mm -hmm. Um, like really, really seriously. And we had, you know, Viviana was a preemie, so like when we brought her home, she was still a month before her actual due date. So we, Mm -hmm. she came home with us before, like you know, whatever that was, thirty five weeks or something. She was four and a half pounds, and so like she really, really for a while, like three or four months, like didn't even acknowledge that I existed and it was winter. I mean, it's winter in LA, but it's still winter. It still gets gloomy. Sure, Um, You can't go on walks in the sun. It was COVID. So I didn't even feel safe, like taking her to like, uh, taking her to like target or walking around. There was nowhere to go. And I just was so, I had a really hard time with it at the beginning. And I did not expect that at all. And I did not expect the amount of guilt that sometimes I still feel of, I don't care how many times somebody says like, oh, my God, self-care is so important as a parent. Like you really have to take care of you. <laughs> um, it is really hard for me personally and I think a lot of people to not feel like a total trash person um, doing any of those things, taking care of any of the things you need to take care of for yourself, putting on your own oxygen mask first. I know it makes sense, but it is really freaking hard to do I and when you do analogy. it. I'm over sp- it. Spend your whole time feeling guilty. And so I didn't expect any of that. Like that I didn't read, that I didn't find in an Instagram quote, that I didn't listen to on a podcast. None of that was I ready for. And that all shocked me a lot of like, whoa, you really feel. And then there was a the little things like yesterday. We went for her year, uh, year wellness check where they do all of the, the 12-month vaccines. By, get ready, by the way the 12 months there's like seven vaccines they give them.
0: Oh wow, okay. Buckle seven up. shots. Yeah. Oh. oh.
1: And you have to hold her down. I had to hold her down with her hands and she's staring at me like e two brute, like she is just <laughs> like you and and then she did this cry that I'd never heard before. She was like ah, 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 doing that and I'm sobbing, my tears are dripping on her as I'm holding her arms and this nurse is jabbing her with the vaccines and Then afterwards, she's crying. The nurse leaves because she's like Vivian is triggered by the nurse at this point. She leaves. I'm standing in there with this like naked baby and I'm just holding her and I'm sobbing probably for 12 minutes. Oh, um, God. Sobbing because it was like I and then she was fine in five minutes. I will be talking about this for 22 years in therapy. (laughs) Nobody told me about that either. Okay, so uh, so I read the wrong
0: books, I think. Yeah. yeah. Where are those books at?
1: Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, if I could pay, if I could have paid Phil to like, be like you go to the doctor this time around. And then last night she had a little bit of a fever, which yeah. you know, you get from the vaccine sometimes. So then I was like, oh, now, now she's a fever and it's my fault. And I did this and I held her down and she's going to remember this forever. And someday at her college graduation, when she's like graduating, she'll be like, I've never forgiven you. I never want to speak to you again because you held me down that time. And I know it's unrealistic. But that is what goes through my head.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Because (laughs) Yeah. It's incomprehensible that you're just like going to forget this. Even if I can't think back to what I was thinking at nine months, uh, but like it still doesn't, it's still while I'm holding my eight month old baby, I'm like, well, here it starts right now. Should I I sign up for, sign the kid up for therapy next year? Like what, like when do we start all this? Right. Um, When, when does
1: it, when do, you know. Is there yes. a version that's not talk therapy where the kid just does something? And, and there is right. actually,
0: I'm sure there's some kind of therapy for babies. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you know, someone's monetized everything out here. <laughs> um, and if it isn't, you and I have a business plan to talk about after this call. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's is. Uh, it it is. It's fascinating um, the way it just racks your brain. Um, and especially, I mean, for you as someone, uh, as, as someone who is playing the role of uh, like you said, stay predominantly stay at home. Dad. I mean, you are, you're in the thick of it. You're in the throes of it uh, even more so. Um and, and, yeah i mean you know with with tina and i were traveling a lot and you know rome came i was telling you right before we got on um that you know rome came down with a rash and i'm talking to tina in south carolina and facetime and her and being like look at this look at this rash on his legs or, or whatnot and she's like why does it always happen whenever only one of us is only one of us is there he never gets sick when what like when both of us are there and we can both <laughs> take the burden and like and i'm and now i'm out here in south carolina being a shitty parent talking an audience of women who didn't give a shit about me and like and you know what i mean like <clears throat> you just write these stories and yep. and i write the same stories on the nights where he just he just has terrible nights of sleep where i'm gone and i'm like okay good now now your whole day tomorrow is screwed and it's because i wasn't there and, yep. um, and you just you just write the storytelling in parenting is fascinating and it's predominantly us telling stories to ourselves um <laughs> and it is uh most of them are dark and yeah uh it's just so fascinating to do something that is on a daily basis punching you in your insecurities yeah Um, it's fascinating i I mean do you find that like
1: i um like i thought if you had asked me like a year ago in august before she was born um how are you i would have been like pretty stable i know myself pretty well (laughs) i understand my stuff I think I'm really clear on it. I know I got this shadow side that I'm working on. Very like young Ian, by the way. Carl Young is a a therapist. (laughs) Uh, um, And I was like, my shadow side, I'm in touch with my animus. I know it all. Um, And then the person I am today, I would be like that freaking idiot from a year ago at 40 years old. I'm 41 (laughs) right now at 40 years old. I would have said like, you know, I'm not perfect, but I know myself. Today, would be like, "I don't know anything about myself. I don't know who I am. I know nothing." Do you feel that way with all of this like the the having a child really shoved me into being like, "Oh, you think you know you? You have no idea."
0: It's like the intro of a reality show. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Big Brother 2.0 or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It uh, yes, I definitely have felt that and I have also uh I've what, one thing that I'm trying to do is that there were there are stories that I would write about myself um, like oh James you're so selfish about time like time yeah. is the most important thing That's one, one of the reasons why Hamilton punched me in the face right um, it's this concept of time and we're running out of time and right and like I moved away from my parents and now uh, you know they're 74 and I'm like alright well they'll probably live to 88 and I'll see them four times three times a year so that means I'm only going to see my parents 30 more times in their life or you know what I mean like it's just like a yeah. time 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 and yeah. so uh, and I was like, James, you're so selfish about time that you're not going to be a very good parent because mm-hmm. this kid's not going to go down as quickly as you would like them to. And you had a phone call or this is going to happen and you're they're going to have to uh, he's going to have to come home from daycare and your your day is going to change and that's going to bother you. Um, and like so I knew those things going into it. And now there's part of me that wonders if I'm not giving myself grace. And instead I'm just like, see, I told you, I told you, this is what I told you before. Um, Right. Like, and, and so there's a lot of times where I think I, I just, parenting has been me hanging out at the intersection of self-awareness and lost and and not realizing that those two roads connected. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what
1: a great, like that, like even just like, the subtitle of a book someday we got to like co-write a book together. And that's got to be the, the subtitle, the intersection of uh, self-awareness and loss. And there's just like a sign of like two lost dads standing at a corner <laughs> with a diner in the background. Well, of course, yeah. Because branding's everything. <laughs> yeah. It's really, um... <laughs> it's really, it's really, it's a really interesting thing. How it really does say, you know, you think you knew yourself. Yeah. You didn't. And some really great ways. You're like, wow, I didn't know I had the capacity to not be such a selfish prick all the time. <laughs> um, that's been lovely. And wow, I can go outside and have like before we started recording I had a jacket on and uh, and I got here and I was like, well, there's milk all over it. This was the milk and jizz comment from earlier, by the way, if you're still sticking around, payoff is here um, because it was like covered in like white stuff and i was like well it's one or the other um (laughs) and so like i realized like oh i can go outside and like i go out and like my little short dad shorts and who cares and those things have been really interesting and lovely and like i won't die if my hair doesn't look perfect when i go outside and like Mm -hmm. who cares if there's baby spit up on my shirt when i go to the grocery store that's been lovely that Mm -hmm. part and then there's that whole other part that you're talking about that's like i I don't need this wall to come. I was fine with that wall. I got <laughs> like I built that wall. It's a beautiful wall. Why do we have to smash it and then look at all the bricks and try to figure out who we are? I'm I was good without doing that work.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so speaking of work, Mike, they call this a transition in the business. You for work, uh <laughs> you are a storytelling coach everything that you do revolves around story you help companies uh tell their story find their story you help individuals find their stories learn how to tell them uh right you're a, a TEDx coach you're you got a a lot of things you yourself are a speaker where and where, where you tell your stories um and so this is this has been an interesting thing for me is that I have yet to tell any stories about fatherhood being a parent on stage um mm. yeah because it's still I think it's. It's, it's all still a little – it's a little too new. It's too fresh. I don't – it's also probably part of, like, the perfectionist in me or it's like, well, I don't have the nice little package for it yet, so I don't <laughs> say it yet, James, right? And so, like, <laughs> you don't have to set a punch. Um, and so uh, – but I will be fascinated to see the way – that maybe, and this is my question to you: Is has it already started to impact the business side of what you do? Have you started telling the stories um, around parenting or becoming a parent? Um, and if not, uh, I'm wondering: You know, do you think you will, and what do you think that looks like?
1: In three really specific ways, it already has. One okay. is that I've recognized: Let's talk about privilege. <laughs> I've recognized that as a man. Mm -hmm. I get a ton of credit for being a dad uh, and doing the things I do that women don't. So if I'm on stage or if I'm on social and I post about a baby, I don't have to worry for one second about somebody seeing that and thinking he's not committed. He's not really ready. He's leaving a baby and he's coming to work. I don't ever have to think about that. And in fact, I get so many brownie points For like even just going to the grocery store as like a dad and it's like oh like some lady chased me out to the car uh this week when i went to costco to like take the cart back for me because i had viviana in it i was taking her out and i was going to push the cart back she like ran across the thing to get it to take it for me people don't do that for moms enough we we just don't and so so that's one thing is i realized that as a business thing um not, as a business thing, my child is a great investment. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I'm saying that like I realize that as like a, a largely personal brand, and that like people don't work with me unless they like me. That's just I. I re, I'm not like a business where they're gonna you know get the goods. They don't work with me unless they like me. Yeah. Um. That that being a dad is like a really interesting part of that. So that's one thing. Two is that it's shifted a little bit. The work I'm interested in doing. Like, I'm a little less interested in the like, how do we help you sell more of your coaching programs? And what I'm a lot more interested in is how do we help you figure out who the hell you are and Mm -hmm. how to give voice to that? Because like, I don't think that I make fun of the, we're working on like a new website and the, when I was working with the copy person, they wrote the line, you know, find your voice. And I was like, nope, very specifically. I don't believe in that. We don't need to find our voice. We don't need to go on a quest. We don't need to go on a journey to see where it is. We didn't leave it in a drawer or anything like that. What we need to do is reveal the thing that we know is burning inside of us. And we need to get rid of all the stuff. So it's changing the work I'm interested in doing because it's it's more that work, um, which is pushing me more and more to working with individuals than it, than it is working with companies. And then the third thing is that uh, I, I I did my first in-person uh, keynote a couple weeks ago, a month ago, whenever that was in North Carolina uh, for like a big audience and a, and a big, beautiful theater. It was so cool. And I wrote a new ending to it. And so at the, in my intro, it said that I was a new dad. I referenced being a dad a couple times. And then at the end, I said, you know, I haven't really told you my story. I've been talking about this. I haven't shared my story. And I talked about like how a year ago, this baby, blah, blah, blah. So why am I here? I showed a little picture of her holding my little finger in the knee cue with her tiny little two and a half pound finger. And I was like, why am I here? Like why, you know, I have to ask myself that, like, why did I get here? Why did I travel this way? Why am I here with you instead of with her? And then I show like a beautiful picture of her cute little face today. And I realize that the through line for me in this work is that I want my child to grow up in a world full of other people Who realize that their experiences, their perspective, their stories really matter. And that being able to share those really, really matters. And this was this new ending I wrote. Mm. Uh, I cried. They cried. It was like this whole thing. I'm welling up. (laughs) Yeah. And so then then that's like kind of the new ending because it's the truth of like, why do I think this matters so much? I think it matters... uh, You know, like a year and a half ago, I was like, oh, whatever. Like, you want to sell more jeans to teenagers? I know what you need to say. Yeah. And I just really don't give a damn about that anymore. What I really care about is like, what is the truth that you are here to reveal? Yeah. And let's uncover that because that's the world I want my child to grow up and not one where someone figured out how to use narrative to sell a pair of skinny jeans.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And we're also, as parents, experiencing all these raw emotions. And we're out here being like, you need to feel these raw emotions, too, <laughs> you bunch of pricks. Um, I'm going to make you cry. Bunch of empty nester CEOs. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that. Uh, yeah. Thanks for making me well up, dude. That was really cool. Um, but no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And Thanks. It, and I, I love the way that you're already bringing it in. Right. And that's, that's what we do. We, we take, we take our experiences, uh, and, and, and make them into, uh, and make them into stories that, that connect with others. Um, And that's, that's powerful. You know, I went, I went through a divorce uh, five, five, six years ago now. And I was telling my buddy who was also going through divorces, who was also a speaker. And I was like, in like three years, this is gonna be such a good story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like this sucks and this is hard and this is really rough right now. But like this, is, this is gonna be this. This is one of those crucible moments, yeah. um, right? And that's kind of how I feel about parenting. Is that I'm trying to figure out when does it come up, how does it come up, and so I really, really appreciate the way that you do it. That's uh, yeah, that was that was brilliant.
1: For me, it's it's really funny too. I was, it's. There's something cathartic for me in like and maybe like diabolical and not healthy in some way, but there's something cathartic for me. in like very quickly after something happens, like trying to find the meaning in it so I can like mm-hmm. do something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's good. In some ways, I imagine that's probably bad because um, I I struggle to like just sit with something and let myself marinate in it. I'm constantly like, what is the meaning of this? Let me package it and yeah. see what it is. But I write a lot. and. For me, it almost feels uh, to like extend my woo-woo ness so far. Let's go. Um, Let's go. <laughs> it feels almost channeled in a way mm. that there's like a uh, my my best friend of um haven't talked about this before on anything. Uh, my best friend of uh, like 25 years that I met in college um, recently passed away, and um like surprisingly and I remember I was driving back from her apartment here in LA. I was, I'm the only one that was in LA of her family or anything. So I was the one that went and got the pets and did everything.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I remember feeling so like overwhelmed by how I felt when I was there and not knowing what not, and it's okay. You don't have to know what you're going to say in those moments And I'm driving back from from her place to our house, and it almost felt like a cat with a um, hairball that I had to pull over on the freeway. I like pulled over, rush hour, you don't do that in LA. I pulled over on the freeway, got off the off-ramp, and I opened my phone and I just started writing and writing and writing. And it really clearly it really clearly spoke to how I was feeling. It really clearly spoke to what I thought was, was useful, meaningful to myself, to other people about it. And I don't know where it came from. I don't know. Cause I wasn't thinking of it. And like, I should pull over and write this. It was like this impulse. Yeah. of, chance. And I do that so often, including with this, this story that I, that I closed with at that conference um, about Viviana of like, it hits me, and it's almost like a channeled thing. And I think a lot of people have this. Uh, we just tend to to ignore it. We tend to say, "Ooh, this isn't this doesn't have value here." Um, and so, I don't think I have like any gift in in like being able to more quickly categorize what's happened to me and turning it into a story to use. It's like somehow something says, "Here it is. Go do something with this, or else you know you're wasting." Um, you're wasting life that you've lived that you could be sharing to
0: help yourself and help other people, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I I think it's also, it's a muscle that you have trained. Sure. And like it's you know like a comedian's going to he's going to grab the napkin and write the joke on the napkin yeah. really quick. Yeah. Um and uh but <clears throat> it is one that you have trained for absolutely beautiful reasons because I agree with you. Right? It's like, hey, this there's no way that impulsive there's no way I'm the only one who is going through this. Yeah. There's no way that's the only thing that this this is just a me thing right now. Somebody else has been here. Somebody else is going through it. Somebody else needs to hear this Um, is a really beautiful notion. Um, I mean, that's what I teach. That's a lot of what leading imperfectly is about, right? It's like you got to lead through those slips, struggles, and and, and stories, um, not just you know your strengths, and so mm. and your successes. Um, and uh, it's like you've got to you've got to bring people in. Um, the power to help people feel seen and heard um, is outrageous. And that is something that you are exceptional at. Um, It's something that other speakers need to be exceptional at uh, before teaching. You got to make someone feel seen um, and heard Um, because otherwise, why are they going to stay focused uh, on you? Right. And uh, and so uh, it's a true gift that you have, brother. And thank you for sharing that. I am deeply sorry for your loss. That uh, sounds really hard. Um, And I appreciate you sharing it with us. Thanks thank you yeah it's been so cool hanging out with you brother we we took him on a roller coaster here uh, we did. from from milk and jizz to tears um i guess that was, that'll be that'll be the time of my next one. that'll be our second book um <laughs> we got oh. to we got to get the writing here um, <laughs> <laughs> but it has been uh, so dope getting to hang out with you in the diner, brother. Uh, as I mentioned in, in your intro, uh, you're, you've been someone who I've admired, have watched, right? You kind of always have, I don't know if you're like this, but you kind of have those other speaker friends you're like, let me see what this dude's website looks like. Let me see what this dude's promo video. What's going on with this guy? What's he posting here? Right? And like, and you're just someone who uh, I've always really appreciated and respected the way that you ran your business and the way that you carry your life. And it is a goal of mine uh, to drink water. Wine with you on a beautiful balcony somewhere. Uh, so we got to make that wait. happen. <laughs>
1: Can't wait. I feel and I feel the same when we we met recently for the first time in person, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, like years ago, I like have a screenshot in my phone. Of, of some image you posted. And it was like this beautiful felt bag with like a brown leather strip or something of it. And mm-hmm. I just remember being like, this guy is so freaking cool. Like <laughs> he's so cool. He's got this cool logo. He's got this perfect book. It has like everything people need to know. And I freaking love him and I hate him and I want to know him. And so for <laughs> me, this is just like the absolute biggest honor um, that you you know, gave me
0: some of your attention and time today. So thank you yes I appreciate you brother thank you for coming in the diner y'all that was my boy Mike Ganino you can find him all over social media at Mike Ganino MikeGanino.com when I say he's working magic with individuals that are trying to find ways to tell their stories um, and hone their stories I am not understating that he's an exceptional man as you could tell uh, a great storyteller himself so we uh, he talks about uh, he lives what he talks um, and, and a friend that I'm really proud to say that our friendship is growing and i just i I hope you all had a great time i had a great time i learned a lot and until next time when we kick it in the diner again my friends keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions you all take care thank you so much for tuning into this episode of diner talks with james it was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth (laughs) (laughs) If you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, (laughs) come on now, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) Also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, While we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.